Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. I want you to invite you to go with me to John chapter 7. John chapter 7 verse 1. I'm going to read through to verse 18. And it's the story of Jesus at the Feast of Booths or uh, known as um, the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, So John chapter 7 verse 1. And it says this. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booze was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. And Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come. But your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said he is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but he's who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him, there is no falsehood. We're speaking tonight about purpose and timing. Uh, When I was 15 years old, I had a crush on a certain young lady. And uh, I decided that it was time to let this young lady know how I felt about her. And so what do you do when you're 15 years of age and you want to share your eternal dying love um, with someone? You get your mum and dad to drive you down to the florist and uh, you buy a bouquet of flowers. And then you write on a card all of your feelings, which takes about a minute. And then you jump back in that car and you... Uh, head to her netball game, true story, and you go to, I'm just giving you tips, fellas, and you you go to a netball game and you stand there looking like an idiot for an hour uh, as people giggle at you and laugh at you, little kids were even teasing me, and and, and I'm there standing with that bouquet of flowers, and I, I didn't know who won, who lost, I just had eyes for one lady, in Jesus' name. And, uh, and at the end of that game, we went for a walk. You know those walks where anything can happen, and it probably will. 
and uh, you know the heart is racing and you're trying to find your words to speak and you're just speaking absolute dribble because you just don't know what on earth you're supposed to say or do. Well, anyway, we went for a walk and, and we found a park bench somewhere, very quiet, and, and I gave her the flowers and, and I could tell by the smile on her face that everything is moving in the right direction or so I thought. And then, you know, she read the card and we talked a little bit and and, and then it came to that part of the conversation where it's like, okay, what do you really think about this? And, and she said to me, well, thank you so much, Corey, but I, I just want to be friends. Now, can we all just come into agreement today that when someone says to you, it's not you, it's me, but we just want to be, I just want to be friends and let's build that friendship that, you know, that's rejection. Can we just, just call it what it is today? Like, ladies, when you do that to us, it's rejection, all right? And, and so all of a sudden, my heart, my passionate, red, beating heart just shattered into a million pieces and I started to feel very sorry for myself. And everything after that was sort of like, you know, tolerating the conversation. And, and, and then I sort of walked back to my mum and dad's car. They were waiting in the car park. And, and, and mum was waiting expectantly for me. And, and dad was too. And, and she saw by the look on my face as I'm heading towards the car that, that things didn't turn out so well. And, and so I hopped in the car. That car ride home was very quiet. And and, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, did, did I miss something there? Did I miss the cues? Did I miss the glances? You know, the glances. Did I miss, you know, something there? And I said, I know what it is. I know what it is. It's spiritual warfare. The devil has blinded her eyes to see the truth and the light and the anointing that's in front of her. And I said, oh, God, remove that veil of deception and darkness over her eyes, over her heart to see the miracle that she's missing standing in front of her. Well, about a day later, I got over it and moved on. And, and uh, for several months was, you know, chasing other girls and all sorts of things. And, and I remember 12 months after that event, we're at another conference and I was doing something up on the stage with the worship team and I went down at the end, the end of the conference, end of the last session. Well, this same girl was there and she had a big smile on her face and she walked up to me and we had a conversation and then she gives me a card. I'm like, what's this business with cards? Let's just be verbal and talk face to face, all right? But back then, when you don't know what to say and it's awkward, then write down things on cards. So we, she gives me the card and, and on it it's like, hey, I've been thinking about you. Oh, have you now? I've been thinking about you over several months and, and I'd just be interested in going out on a date sometime and, you know, I, 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 you misunderstood what, what I was saying, what my heart was and, and, and I'm like, oh, the shoe's on the other foot now, isn't it? So I'm like, I'm going to let her sweat a while and wait a while. One day, and, uh, and uh, one week, and I said, you're going to have to wait a while. Well, something must have worked because we got married and had three kids in Jesus' name. Been married nearly 20 years. And, uh, you know, all I know is if uh, you're single and it hasn't worked out for you yet, pray and pray and pray some more. Enter into spiritual warfare and you'll be amazed at what happens. Um, but, you know, I began to think about how my uh, wife was God's purpose for me all along. But in order for God's purpose to be fulfilled in my life, it had to be partnered up with God's timing. 
And many of us, we get a glimpse of the purpose of God for our life. Someone shares a prophecy with us. We, we have a, an experience in life that is formational and it shapes us and it impacts us. It encourages us about our future destiny and what God has for us. And, but, but unless you understand that God's purpose has to be married up to God's timing, then in fact you could miss what God wants to bring into your life or through your life. Because Ecclesiastes 3 tells us for everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. It is so important that you don't misinterpret the purpose of God just because you haven't seen it manifest and be fulfilled yet. Many of us uh, often sort of live our lives in delay or in the in-between times of life where we are convicted or we have a vision of what is to be or what is to come, but because there is a delay, we misinterpret. We think that it isn't God's purpose and it isn't going to come to pass. Never draw a conclusion about your destiny based on one season of your life. Life is not made up of one season. Life is made up of multiple seasons. And so the season you're in right now, whilst pivotal and significant, in order for it to be maximized, you have to understand this relationship between purpose and timing. There are two dimensions of time that God has appointed to humanity. And there are two Greek concepts and terms. One is chronos time, the ticking of the clock and the turning of the calendar. Days turn into weeks, weeks turn into months, months turn into years. That is one dimension of time that God has given to us. But the other dimension of time is otherwise known as God's kairos time. It's that God-appointed window of opportunity when all of a sudden the purpose of God meets the timing of God for your life and you seize the opportunity and all of a sudden there is a breakthrough in your life where you start to see the fruit of what you believe in your heart, where you start to see the fruit of what you've sown in your past in that window of opportunity. Now you need to understand something about God. God is eternal which means he operates outside of the time and space continuum. He is not bound by chronos time. Aren't you glad about that today? For those of you who your biological clocks are ticking, God is not bound by chronos time. God is not bound by the ticking of the clock and the turning of the calendar. How do I know that? Because he comes to a man called Abram and Sarai. And he says, my purpose for you, Abram and Sarai, is that you will become the father and mother of many nations. Look to the sky, count the stars, so shall your offspring be. In other words, this is my purpose for you. This is my calling. But Abram, make sure you understand that you're going to need to be in alignment with my timing for you. What does Abram do? He gets creative. He starts, he gets impetuous, presumptuous. He listens to the advice of his wife and sleeps with his wife's servant, Hagar. Seemed like a brilliant idea at the time. And he sleeps and what happens? He births an Ishmael, which brings all sorts of repercussions that God's people are still dealing with to this day. God's purpose for him was to become the father of many nations. But God's timing for him was Isaac, the promised child, 25 years after the purpose was revealed for what it was. Now, 
I hope you don't have to wait 25 years for the purpose of God to be fulfilled and established in your life. But to be honest with you, even as I look at my own journey, I wanted to be doing what I'm doing today 20 years ago. And it's taken years upon years of the seasons of God in my life for me to be able to walk in the fullness of that. Anything significant in God that he has for you will take time. That's why you've got to lay hold of the purpose and be patient with the timing. You see, we have a propensity to create our own Kairos moments. And the reason why we do that is because FOMO, fear of missing out. We look at Instagram, someone else's highlight reel, and we get all envious and covetousness, and we're like, you know, wow, look at what they're doing, look at where they're traveling, look at their business and their house and their marriage and their kids and their ministry. Wow, I want that. But you don't understand. When you look at social media, you're looking at someone's highlight reel, you don't know what price they've paid, you don't know how many years they've been sacrificing, you don't know what they've gone through. Don't compare someone else's highlight reel to your journey. Because you might be in the wilderness right now, and how many of us know it sucks in the wilderness? There's weeping and gnashing of teeth, and it's just not fun. But guess what? God is not intended for you to live in a wilderness forever. He has a purpose for your life. He has a time for your life. But every season is necessary for you to step into what He has for you. There's fear of missing out. There's impatience. we just simply impatient. We want everything yesterday. We are a generation that believes we are entitled to blessing and reward, even if we haven't sown for it, even if we haven't worked for it. And it's just a foreign concept to other generations. And it's definitely a foreign concept to the Word of God. If you are going to walk in God's purpose for your life, you've got to understand the timing of God for your life. You see, the right purpose at the wrong time equals confusion. But the right purpose at the right time equals acceleration. When those two things come together, you'd be amazed at what God does in your life. And nowhere is this better seen than in Jesus' ministry in John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, we bump into the issue of purpose and timing in Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry. And it all happens around this Feast of Booths. Now, the Feast of Booths is otherwise known as the Feast of Tents or the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was a very important feast in the Jewish calendar because it was a celebration of harvest, giving glory to God for for being faithful in in harvest of livestock and harvest of vineyard and wine and harvest of land. But also it was a celebration of uh, uh, remembrance of what God did for Israel in the wilderness in sustaining them for 40 years and bringing them into the land of Canaan. And so what would happen at the Feast of Booths is people around Jerusalem would come and literally live in tents on the mountainside over the celebration of this feast. Uh, At night, they would go to the court of the women and they would have their own version of a sound and light show. Candelabras would be everywhere, all over the court of women. During the day, they would go to the waters of Siloam and draw water out. Some people would swim there. And it was was this sort of, uh, as we would have festivals and celebrations where we would do certain things, well, they too had their festival and their celebrations and their customs. 
Now, if you read the prophet Zechariah, you'll discover that so important was the Feast of Booze that Zechariah said, whoever doesn't turn up to the Feast of Booze, there is going to be a curse upon them, right? You read the book of Zechariah, it's in there. And so anyone who knew anything about the law or anyone who was, uh, you know, somebody in Israel was like, are you going to be at the Feast of Booze? It's almost like, you know, where are you watching the grand final tomorrow? Where are we going for dinner after the night service? Grill, well, you better make sure you're there. Otherwise, a curse is going to be on you, right? It was sort of a bit like that. It was like, are you going to be at the Feast of Booths? You better be there because you know what the prophet said. And so the Feast of Booths was a meeting place. It was a place where if you wanted to show off or demonstrate what you had, you best be at the Feast of Tabernacles. So enter Jesus' family, Jesus' brothers. They don't fully believe in Jesus as the Son of God, but they're like entertained by his magic tricks. And they're sort of like, you know what? You've lost some followers and you need to gain some followers. Why don't you go to the Feast of Booze, do your magic trick, perform some miracles, some signs and wonders? Because if you want to be known openly, don't do these things in quiet. In other words, the brothers interpreted that Jesus wanted to become famous failing to realize God's ways aren't our ways. God's thoughts aren't our thoughts. Man's measurement of success is different to God's measurement of success. And all of a sudden, Jesus had this pressure applied upon him from his family to try and fulfill the Father's purpose outside of the Father's timing. I remember when I was 26 years of age, I had a father in the faith who I was on staff at this particular church asked me to take on a church of two and a half thousand people. There, there was job security, financial security, there was facilities paid off, there was multiple acreage. This was a good deal for a 26-year-old up-and-coming pastor and minister. And I remember wrestling with this, this opportunity, this invitation for several weeks, praying, seeking God. It seemed like it was God's purpose and it seemed like it was God's time, but something in my spirit actually said to me, this isn't your time for this. I've got a purpose of destiny and influence for you to carry in the body of Christ, but this isn't your time for this. And we were considering planting a church, otherwise known as Activate Church, with 13 people in a lounge room. And these two things were in my heart at this time. And I remember driving down the road one day on Marinda Highway, and I'm, I call out to God. I cry out to God as I'm driving down the road, God, why can't you just make this clear? What you want me to do? No sooner had the words gone out of my mouth that I looked at the car in front of me. This is no word of a lie. And there was a sticker across the back of the car that said, no way, Mount Evelyn. The church that I was asked to take on was Mount Evelyn Christian Fellowship at that time. No way, Mount Evelyn. I nearly crashed into the back of the car as I'm coming up to this thing. I I just can't believe it. And as I'm getting closer, I'm realizing, I think God's speaking to me. And then God says to me, is that clear enough for you? And all of a sudden, no sooner had he said that, that the peace of God just came and filled my heart. 
there was, a, there was a clarity. There was a certainty. All the planets were in alignment. Everything was perfect. Why? Because I'd got clarity on, on the purpose and the timing of God for my life. And it was not soon or not later after that that we actually started and planted this church. Thank God. Aren't you glad that we listened to the heart and the voice of God? As awesome as that would have been, it wasn't the purpose and it wasn't the time. You see, you've got to understand, God's ways are different to your ways and my ways. It looked good, it looked right, it looked favorable, but not every door that's open to you is a door God wants you to walk through. Many of us would look at any door that's favorable, financial, attractive, and say, this is God's will for my life. It's like the dude who looks across a crowded room and sees a good-looking lady and walks up and says, Hi, my name is Will, God's will. All right? It's a similar concept, okay? Where, where you, you, you look at a door, you look at a person, you look at a job opportunity, and you're like, This must be God, right? But not every door, not every person, not everything that you think is the right thing is actually what God has for you. Now, isn't it interesting that the same pressure that was applied upon Jesus by his brothers and his family sounds very similar to the pressure that Jesus faced in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4 when Satan came at the end of Jesus' 40 days of prayer and fasting and put temptation and pressure upon him to start to perform and, and seek God's purpose outside of the Father's timing. What did Satan say to Jesus? Satan said, well, I, I possess uh, all of the glory of the kingdoms of this world. If you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all the glory, all the power of the kingdoms of this world. Now, you better believe Jesus fundamentally knew at the core of his being, he was not only fully and properly man, but he was also fully and properly God. He knew that all the kingdoms of this world would ultimately become the kingdoms of our God, according to the prophet Daniel. Jesus knew that. He's the Son of God. He knew the Father's will for him. But here he was in the wilderness being tempted, pressured to possess the Father's purpose for his life outside of the Father's timing. Now, it's interesting in Luke chapter 4, verse 13, that the Bible says, once Jesus resisted that temptation, that the devil departed and waited until another opportune time. In other words, he was seeking and waiting and watching Jesus. When would be the next time that I could come and try and get Jesus to fulfill the Father's purpose outside of the Father's timing? If you read scholars on this passage in John chapter 7, many of them consider this was the second time that Satan was manipulating and trying to get Jesus to step outside of the Father's timing in order to secure the Father's purpose, because this is what I've learned. If Satan Satan cannot challenge you head on and oppose you head on. He will use those people closest to you. He'll use family. He'll use work colleagues. He'll use teammates. He'll use all sorts of people to try and get you to secure in your own strength and for your own glory what God ultimately wants to bring and bless you with in your life. 
What was Jesus' response to the peer pressure? How did Jesus handle it? He says, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. Now, I don't know about you, but I always thought I knew what that meant. I read that passage many times. Has anyone ever read that phrase before? My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. Well, repeated throughout the Gospels is this, is this line, is this phrase from Jesus. It happened at the wedding in Cana, the first miracle, turning water into wine. They ran out of wine and the mother of Jesus comes and says, Jesus, turn the water into wine. Do something, son. And Jesus is like, well, mum, my time has not yet come. But apparently mum's rule also, he turns the water into wine. And, 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 and then in Nazareth, they want to throw him off a cliff because he equates himself to be the son of God. They say, right, yeah, who are you? You're Joseph's son. You're a carpenter. You're a carpenter's son. Who do you think you are? The Bible says he doesn't get killed. Why? His time has not yet come. Here again in this passage, he says, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. What is he talking about? Literally in the Greek, that phrase means my decisive moment has not yet arrived. In other words, I'm letting the Father decide the timing of my purpose. I'm letting the Father dictate my decisive moments, not peer pressure and not even myself, because I'm living for something greater than the opinions and perspectives and pressure of everybody else around me. You see, Jesus refused to create his decisive moment, no matter who was pressuring him. His brothers believe that the timing of your purpose, your decisive moment, is determined by logic, luck, or sheer hard work. If you take matters into your own hands... You'll, you'll be able to make this thing happen. You'll get a following. You'll build a kingdom on planet earth. They were totally misinterpreting what mission Jesus was coming to planet earth to do. That's why Jesus said to them, well, your time is always here. What was Jesus saying? Your time is always here. This is what he was saying. When you dictate your destiny, when you are responsible to, to, to make your decisions about your decisive moment and the timing of your purpose, then guess what? What you birth in the flesh, you have to sustain in the flesh. This will start to sink in in a moment. When you decide how, when you are in control of your life, when you are the Lord of your life, when you are the one who, who dictates and decides your destiny and your purpose, then you're the one who decides your timing of that purpose too. But what Jesus wasn't, was saying that isn't in the text, he was saying, but if you birth it in your spirit and in your strength and in your effort, you have to sustain it. But what God births by his spirit what you are patient to wait for the Father's timing in your life, the Holy Spirit is responsible to perfect. The Holy Spirit is responsible to sustain. So my question is, what dictates, what dictates whether or not you're going to determine your purpose and your timing and the Father's going to determine your purpose and timing? What's the answer to that? You see, Jesus, in this passage, he doesn't book a flight to Jerusalem. He doesn't catch an Uber. He stays right where he is, right where he was. 
Sometimes I think it takes more courage and faith to stay right where you are than to make a move. We often talk about faith. I talked about faith this morning. We often talk about faith as being a step that you take. That's one expression of it. But another expression of faith is, I'm waiting. I'm being patient. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it's through faith and patience we inherit the promises of God. Many of us hear the message of faith, now faith is, step out in faith now, but, but, but there's another aspect of faith. In fact, one of the greatest demonstrators of your faith is your patience. How patient, how long can you wait? I'm like the most impatient person on planet earth. Anne knows this very well about me. This is why I have her on my intercessory team praying for me. Because I, I, I'm just, I, I have had to learn patience. Because if you don't learn the patience of faith, you're going to miss the purpose of God for your life. You're going to miss some important things. And what does our culture struggle with more than anything else? Patience. We don't want to be patient for anything. And you know what? Over recent weeks, God has been teaching me patience. I got stuck on a plane at a gate in Jakarta, literally on the plane. Wouldn't let us off for eight and a half hours. I understand why people do terrorist things. Because I was on that plane. And I ran up my what? Don't let this get on podcast. And I rang up my wife at 3 a.m. in the morning. I woke her up. She's like, how can I help you at this time? I'm like, I'm about to commit a terrorist attack. I need help. Eight and a half hours. I'm like, God, is this the devil or you? And, and you know, like last night I was stuck on a plane for an hour. And then on when I was traveling uh, to Europe, they had me on delayed flight after delayed flight. And, and uh, when I was uh, in, in America, I got stuck in the worst snowstorm in 30 years. It just so happened to come to Portland while I was there ministering the word of the Lord. Do you think God's trying to teach me patience? You better believe it. We want everything to happen yesterday. And yet God is coming to us and saying, no, no, it's through faith and patience that you are going to walk in the fullness of your purpose. You see, Jesus waits for the Father's timing on when to enter the feast quietly. And isn't it interesting, I am amazed, when I read the Gospels, at how much effort Jesus puts into keeping his ministry under wraps. It's like he, he heals a sick person, opens blind eyes, cleanses 10 lepers and says, don't tell anyone. I'm like, is this like reverse psychology or what is this Jesus? Because it's working. Because what do they do after he says that? They go and tell everyone. If that was you and I, and we cleanse 10 lepers, open blind eyes, raise the dead, heal the sick, straight on Instagram, baby. (laughs) Check this out. I'm the anointed one. Did you just see what happened? Snapchat, Facebook, we would be all over it because that's our generation, not Jesus. He's like, keep it under wraps. Don't tell anyone. Just be quiet about it. 
And yet isn't it interesting that even as he goes about his ministry quietly, he enters the feast quietly, the father's already been at work behind the scenes. You've got to believe something today. Even though you can't see it yet, even though you can't even hear it yet, the father is working behind the scenes on your behalf. He's making, putting things into place. He's opening doors in jobs and careers and universities. He's moving relationships around. He's putting things into place. Why? Because he is more committed to your purpose than you are. He created you. He designed you. You've got to stop being anxious and restless. He knows what's best for you. What he's looking for is a people that will trust him with the process. Trust him with the timing of what he wants to bring into your life. The Father's timing for Jesus is perfect. Why? Because by the middle of the feast, everyone's like, have you heard of this new preacher, Jesus? Oh my gosh, he's amazing. Have you heard his podcast? All of a sudden, his podcast overnight just blows up, right? God's working behind the scenes in Jesus' ministry so that by the time Jesus reveals himself and presents himself, everything is in alignment. Every The Father's purpose, meets the Father's timing for God to begin to move miraculously in people's lives through the person of Jesus. And these people were looking at Jesus saying, how is it that that Jesus has authority? How is it that when he's never learned, he's never studied, what they were saying is, you see, the custom of the day was for rabbis to, or wannabe rabbis or wannabe preachers, they'd go to a particular rabbinical school and they would learn under a rabbi. They would get all the quotes, all the knowledge, all the revelation. They would go and start their own following or their own church and they would quote the other rabbis to reinforce and prop up their own teaching to establish their own authority, not Jesus. He didn't use another man's information. He used only the Father's revelation because he attended the school of the Spirit. He didn't necessarily attend the school of the rabbi. And as whilst I'm educated and I encourage education, let me tell you, you can know all the right stuff and not know all the right stuff. You can know it in here, but if it hasn't gone to your spirit, If it hasn't gone to your heart, and you can fulfill a career with a lot of information up here, but that's not the only information you need. You need revelation in your spirit, revelation in your heart. And let me tell you, revelation isn't something you get off a podcast. It's not something you get off a university lecturer. It's something you get by seeking God every day of your life, opening that Word of God, unpacking it. I didn't get this message from another preacher. I got it from a download from heaven. That The Spirit of God revealed this to me because God wants to reveal something to you about your purpose. Jesus' teaching, listen to this, this is so important. Jesus' teaching had power because it wasn't for His glory. In one sentence, hang in there, one more minute. In one sentence, Jesus reveals the secret to the partnership between God's purpose and God's timing in your life. He says this, he says, The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. In other words, what was he saying? Your decisive moment, the marriage of purpose and timing in your life is determined by the answer to one question. 
Whose glory are you living for? Are you living for your glory? Or are you living for the Father's glory? Jesus fulfilled the Father's purpose in the Father's timing because he wasn't living for his glory. He was living for the Father's glory. And when you live for the Father's glory, you are at rest. You are at peace to let the Father's purpose for your life be fulfilled in the Father's timing for your life. But when you make it about your glory and your honor and your pride and your status and how does this make you look, all of a sudden, you've got to start to make things happen. You, you, you've got to start to get your hands all over your calling and your gifting and your relationships and your job and your money and all these things. And you've got to try and make it all happen. Why? Because if you don't, then who's going to see your glory? If you don't move things along, then who's going to notice what glory you have? Not Jesus. He's like, I'm living for the Father's glory. So I don't need to dictate this myself. I let the Father dictate. And whenever we let the Father get all the glory and work out our purpose and timing, let me tell you, He does more. He does better than you and I could possibly do in one little flicker of an eyeball than what we could do in an entire lifetime. I don't know about you, but I just said to my heart, some of us have got to stop worrying about the timing of our purpose and we're going to start to ask ourselves the motivation question, what am I being motivated by here? Is this about me and my glory or is this about the Father's glory? Am I trying to push something or force something before it's time? Or do I just need to step back and let, say, God, you're in control. You take care of it. I'm living for you and not for me. And maybe I wonder right now in your life if there are things that you are trying to make happen that no matter how hard you push and how hard you make work, it just doesn't seem to be breaking through. And often we hear messages about breakthrough and do more and be more when sometimes I think we need to ask ourselves, what am I motivated for? What is this even about? Because here's the deal. If you get the motivation right, the outcome takes care of itself. The glory takes care of itself because it's for the Father's glory. Jesus said, I could do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own glory, but the glory of Him who sent me. I heard an amazing uh, response from, uh, I read it, of uh, Corrie Ten Boom, a survivor of the Holocaust, Second World War. She was a woman who spoke all over the world, had great notoriety, shared her testimony, shared uh, with churches and movements all over the world what she'd gone through, what God had done in her family and in her life coming through the Holocaust, coming through World War II. And, um, and uh, she had become famous in the 20th century. And a reporter asked her and said, uh, Corey, how do you stay humble? And she responded with, well, in the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, when Jesus was on that donkey, and they're going into Jerusalem and everyone's putting down their coats and their mantles on the, on the ground for the donkey to go over. And everyone's waving palm branches and singing Hosanna in the highest and shouting to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And all the Pharisees are up in the nosebleed section of the grandstand sort of spectating and watching all of this unfold in Jerusalem. She said, do you think it entered into the mind of that donkey for one minute that all of that attention, celebration and applause was for him? 
She said, all I am is a donkey that Jesus Christ can ride in His glory upon. How do I stay humble? How do you stay with a right motive and a right perspective? You don't make it about you because it's not about the donkey. All you need to do is Eeyore, Eeyore your little heart out for Jesus. And you've got to let the glory of Jesus be able to ride on your life. Whether you're in the fashion industry, whether you're in the health and medical industry, whether you're in, in the church game and, and this is about ministry in the local church, whether you're in the education sector, finance sector, or in Hollywood. It's not about us. It's about the Father's glory. And when you make it about the Father's glory, when you're just content to be a donkey, you don't have to force things, make things happen. You just live your life. You live with peace. You live with free freedom from anxiety. How many people are anxious and troubled about stuff in their life that they don't need to be because it all comes back to what am I being motivated by? I want to invite you to stand on your feet with me today. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.